Hello, and welcome back to Young Nostalgia, the podcast that takes a trip down memory lane from two guys that never lived it. As always, I'm Ben, and Nolan is beside me, 800 miles away. (laughs) (laughs) So thankful for you guys to be joining us as we coming up on this Thanksgiving holiday season with Christmas close to follow. I'm sure you guys are circling those Black Friday abs as they uh, leak out. I know Walmart and Best Buy are one of my few that I'm looking for. Getting off topic, but if you're interested, you can go back to our Black Friday shopping episode about a year ago around this time. Good stuff. But episode 54 coming to you today. I've been all over the place this intro. Episode 54 coming to you today. (laughs) Ben and I had an amazing weekend last weekend. We went and coordinating our schedules, so we both saw Bohemian Rhapsody, the biopic about Freddie Mercury, also the Queen band, uh, Nun. Much better than Queen. Absolutely love them. They're fantastic. But the movie itself was amazing. Ben and I sat down and we watched it um, at separate times. But nonetheless, we watched it. And uh, this whole episode is gauged towards our feelings about it. And, uh, you know, kind of what everyone else is thinking about it. And either where we see biopics going in the future. As well as just the broad ideas that we uh, liked or disliked about the movie itself. And maybe calling out a few fact-checking points for the movie with that said ben how you doing big guy oh i'm doing pretty good it's uh been a long day but good day for young nostalgia always a good day for young nostalgia maybe we should just become a daily podcast let's do it (laughs) i'll quit my stable job and we will uh start doing this every day yes i agree (laughs) i agree (laughs) maybe someday maybe someday as always we're teaming up with our good friend emily from cozy knits at real big stitch that's r-e-e-l big stitch real big stitch cozy Knits. she does handmade knitted items scarves hats pet accessories household items you know anything uh can be customized that she sells you can check her out on cozy knits at real big stitch on etsy and uh, we post her shop link in our show description as well. But all um, dedicated Young Nostalgia listeners from now up through December 31st, 2018 can use code NOSTALGIA18 for an additional 10% off their purchase from Cozy Knits. Again, that's NOSTALGIA18, all upper caps, all uppercase, no <laughs> wow. spaces. NOSTALGIA18 for 10% off Cozy Knits by Real Big Stitch. So no without, one's actually drunk. You know, <laughs> <laughs> when you have when you have the uh, tumbler of hard bourbon whiskey on your side of the phone, <laughs> you're the one mixing up words here. Well, you have you haven't talked that much. <laughs> Just wait. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So <laughs> we're gonna dive straight in to episode fifty four about Bohemian Rhapsody, the biopic. So a little bit of a background. As of today, November 12th, 2018, Bohemian Rhapsody had grossed $104.8 million in the United States and Canada and $185.9 million in other territories. This includes $26.7 million in the UK for a total worldwide gross amount to this date of $290.7 million. That's compared to the budget of the film of just $52 million. So I would say that this is pretty much a box office success as a movie, you know, as a whole. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, they've already hit, you know, four times their budget. Whew. 
And that's, I feel yeah. like that's Did actually the really right? low for a budget yeah. of a movie. $52 million. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it, I guess it depends on the movie. I mean, there's, <clears throat> um, it, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's not a, uh, it's not a movie that really required a ton of, or if any, special effects or anything like that, which definitely helps. True. Very, very true. Um, but yeah, I mean, it still does seem pretty low. And I mean, well, I say low, $52 million. Oh, that's, that's nothing. You know? <laughs> yeah, we make that in an hour. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in, you know, today's trends in movies where it's, you know, just an astronomical cost for making a movie, um, I suppose $52 million is relatively low. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, <laughs> man. I love. Uh, okay, so rounding us out before we get into our own thoughts. So critic-wise, ri- critic um, this is what people are saying. So on Rotten Tomatoes, the film holds an approval rating of 62% based on 287 reviews and an average rating of 6.2 out of 10. The consensus has come out to be that Bohemian Rhapsody hits a handful of high notes, but as an in-depth look at a beloved band, it offers more of a medley than a true greatest hits collection. Couldn't say it much better myself, I guess, if I was a critic. But critics always, like, they don't like any movies unless it's Gone with the Wind. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, it, it seems it seems like a movie has to, has to fit a very, very specific... Uh, kind of cookie cutter outline um, right. for the critics to really, really uh, rave about, or it has to be a movie that's been out for a long time, and it's almost like the critics kind of change their change their reviews dependent on <laughs> you know reception. I mean, look at uh, Star Wars for example. If I'm not mistaken, I think it did pretty bad in the reviews, but it's now it's like the biggest cult classic right you know so right you know the critics kind of i i don't pay much attention to them me neither personally um i mean obviously still doing pretty good bohemian rhapsody uh well above 50 percent um which is still good but that being said i mean i really like the movie i liked everything about it how the plot flowed and um, just the overall subject matter, of course. Um, so, you know, what I say that critic review is pretty low. Yes. But like I said before, it's not like I really pay much attention to critics and I feel like most people don't either. Right. I'm, I'm definitely with you. And then kind of the overall consensus of the critics as well is that most critics actually raved about Remy Malik's performance as Freddie Mercury and kind of said the overall, of the film was that actually mediocre, but his performance, his his flamboyantness on stage during the performing and the acting was spot on. But overall, the movie kind of didn't hit as high as some people thought. But that's okay. Now that that's on the wayside, that's what you know. The people that are paid to watch movies and talk about them, that's what they think. But this is young nostalgia, and our ideas are. Uh, I don't know where I'm going with that statement. But I don't either. I was trying to are, help you, but I couldn't come up with anything either. <laughs> our ideas are open-minded, and they come out of our hearts, you know, just very <laughs> soulful. Now, before we go in any further into this, uh, I will have to add that, you know, we apologize ahead of time because I'm sure there's going to be spoilers in here. Oh, yes, yes. Um, From here on out, I would say 
I would say if you haven't seen the movie or you're not either interested in the movie or you are interested but haven't seen it yet, uh, I would say you can turn off the show right now um, and find something else that's kind of cool to listen to. Hopefully Young Nostalgia related. Maybe catch up on some backlog. <laughs> there you go. And then go watch the movie and then come back to this episode. Right. And then you'd enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I had to throw that out there because I'm not a huge stickler for spoilers, but I know some people it just, you know, their heads explode if you say too much about a movie. So got to throw it out there. Right. If you're wanting to see the movie and don't want to hear about it yet, don't listen to this show yet. Good call, man. Absolutely good call. All right. So I'm going to stick you with uh, answering the first thing, and I'll kind of roll off of you. So what were your thoughts before the movie? I know we talked a little bit about it on previous episodes, and then you were kind of hesitant to watch it. A lot of times you kind of brought up that you weren't going to watch the movie until it came out anyway, mm-hmm. but yet then I kind of just pushed you over the edge, and then we went and saw it, and I think you're happy that you did. But So what were your, like, forget what you saw right now, and what were your thoughts before the movie? All right, so... Kind of like you brought up, going into it, I was a little bit skeptical. It seems like stuff like this can either go one of two directions. It seems like it can be too technical and historical. Uh, Historical, for lack of better terms. Not like it was really that long ago. but (laughs) um, And if it goes too far that way, stuff tends to be a little dry, um, a little towards the you know, documentary side of things. Not that, I mean, I, I watch my fair share of documentaries, but that's not what this really is supposed to be. (laughs) Um, or it can, it seems like sometimes stuff can go the totally opposite direction. And it seems as if there's too many, uh, artistic liberties being taken, um, either by the writers or the director or whoever, um, in the way stuff is played, maybe stuff that didn't really happen. They put in the movie or, Maybe how certain events, uh, how certain events kind of went along. You know, it didn't actually happen in real life. Um, anything like that. You know, it, sometimes stuff gets kind of caught up in the movie making. Uh, you know, well, we got to change this so it's more appealing to fan or viewers. You know, stuff right. like that. And, you know, I'm not really interested in something like that either. You know, it might be a fantastic movie, but if it's supposed to be about something, I want it to be actually relatively accurate. And so those were kind of my thoughts going in. I was skeptical. I wasn't originally going to watch it until it came out. And then um, then you brought up, you know, hey, we should go see this this weekend and do the show. And that was kind of my tipping point of wanting to go see it. And I'm now, after the fact, I'm really glad I did because I really, really <laughs> enjoyed it. Good, but, uh, good. but kind of getting back to you, I knew you were, you were like crazy excited from, you know, the very beginning when there was just rumors. Right. About yeah. This. I mean, back in June and July when they just brought out like those, you know, 15 or 30 second teaser trailers, I was all about it. I was geeked out. I was excited. I was electrified. Uh, you've spent enough time with me that you know how I am when I get that way. <laughs> <laughs> so Michelle <laughs> Michelle had to deal with that. <laughs> yeah, you get all fidgety and jumpy. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know, man. My thoughts beforehand well, was, I guess I wasn't really thinking about it that much. It was more of, I like Queen. I like their music. I like their style. And I just, like, I didn't know necessarily much about them other than their music. So I was like, I really want to know more 
about this. I want to see the behind the scenes. I want to see, um, you know, kind of the different sides of the band, whether it be, you know, the drummer or the bassist or the lead guitarist, Brian May, uh, Roger Taylor and John Deacon. You know, I wanted to see that. I wanted to see the bonds. I wanted to see the struggles that they had to go through. Um, and I was kind of more intrigued by that uh, than rather than, you know, it flopping, I guess. I mean, <laughs> I, I honestly, I probably would have enjoyed it no matter how good or bad it actually was. But I'm glad that it really kind of outdid my expectations. Like, I went in it with no expectations just because I knew it was going to be interesting and entertaining. But yet then it just kind of blew me out of the water with how well they did it and how well they formed the entirety of the story together. I think I think they did a great job. Yes, I would have to agree. <clears throat> and even though I was, you know, skeptical about it at first, I'm, like I said before, I'm really glad I went to see it then. And I'll probably watch it, you know, again sometime in the relatively near future, you know, once it comes out on DVD or you know, online to stream or something like that. I'll probably end up watching it again just just for the heck of it. Right, right. Okay, um, let's skip the point in our notes right now because we'll come back to that after we kind of talk about our favorite moments, um, how we feel about, like, the casting, and then we can come back to the whole fact-checking of the movie. How's that sound? Sounds good to me. All right, baby. Take us I, away. Who wants, to, who wants to start out with the favorite moments? I have a few on top of my head. Uh... How about you go first? I'm not sure yet. Okay. All right. So straight from the beginning, I was captivated by this movie. A lot of times, you know, if people have either listened to the show or heard Queen, uh, know a little bit about their history, they know that Live Aid back in 1985 was one of the biggest concerts ever. And one of the best, most regarded live performances was Queen's performance at Live Aid of July of 1985. It has just been regarded as one of the best showmanships and just crowd engaging shows out there. And it was only 21, 22 minutes long, but the movie starts out with kind of like the slight hymn in the background of the crowd going crazy. Um, and you just see Freddie Mercury get out of their trailer, you know, in this bra- um, brown leather jacket, he's in his, uh, light wash Levi's jeans with his um, Reebok shoes and his wife beater <laughs> and just you know and the one um, band on his arm just like what he wore in Live Aid comes out kind of slow motion you see him in his glasses and he's just like shaking out you know getting ready for this show and then you see him run up the ramp to go out on stage and they open up the curtains and he goes on stage and then it just goes black and then it goes back to 1970, where Freddie Mercury began as one of those baggage handlers for airlines or an airport. <laughs> yeah. But like, I was captivated straight from the beginning when they started with you know a Queen um, anthem. I can't remember what song it was for the life of me, and it kind of irritates me. But they started uh. off like that. It might have been "We Will Rock You," just kind of like, you know what I mean. Yeah, And then he mm-hmm. was going out there to Live Aid, and then it just like snaps you back to reality where everything began. So you knew where this was going to go. You knew where this is you know, going to end the movie at one of the highest points of the band. And I was just like ready for more. I was like, I want to know how they get there. Like starting off at such a high point like that of in their career, I was blown away. I did not expect that at all. And then they kind of almost ground you to reality of where this movie's going to begin at. 
Mm-hmm. And I was just captivated, man. Absolutely captivated. Sorry, that was yeah. a long favorite moment of mine. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. No, you know, that's a that was fantastic. I really enjoyed how they 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 uh opened up this movie. You know, something like that it really kind of it, it starts the suspense a little bit, I guess, right from the very beginning because you know you know what is going to happen kind of, you know. Right. And so once it backs back down and goes back to the past and starts telling the story behind all of this, I feel like you you as a viewer, you start off at a more intense, you know, you're already kind of on the edge of your seat like you were just explaining. Uh-huh. Um rather than just starting right into the story and kind of learning what's going on and and uh, kind of letting it build up naturally, it's it kind of jump starts you into being excited already. Right, and like I just remember, you know, my first time going on radio or whatever, you know, where your hands get kind of clammy and sweaty. I mm-hmm. saw that opening, and my hands literally got clammy and sweaty. I was like, I can only imagine what <laughs> Freddie Mercury is feeling right now. Obviously, he's performed in you know big stages before. But I was like, I'm just trying to put myself in that shoes. I would be nervous as hell doing that kind of thing. And like for them to just like start it out like that and then just bring you back to square one, I was like, what? And oh, I, yeah. I was gone, man. I was gone for the rest of the <laughs> rest of the movie. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, he's going out there not in front, not just in front of the, uh, oh, gosh, what was it, 300,000 in the crowd? Well, that's uh, just that crowd, I think, was 100,000. Then they had crowd over in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah, you're right. Plus everything televised. So they estimated like... It was in the billions. Three billion people were watching, which was like, at that time, 40% of the world's population. Yeah, which is just... It's mind-boggling. Gosh. Um, But I guess... I guess... uh, I guess I'll kind of move into mine. Mine isn't necessarily uh, a super specific point in the movie. I guess I really liked one of the overall themes of the movie, which was how important crowd interaction was to Queen. Okay. Which I, I really enjoyed that. Several points in the movie they talked about, you know, they really, really stressed how, you know, whatever direction they're, they were currently going, like, they needed to change that because they were getting away from their roots as being a super active show that really got the crowd involved. Um, right. And, well, even uh, even in the beginning when they first signed their first record, remember they were like, "What what makes Queen different than all the other musicians out there?" And mm-hmm. they said, "We play for the guys in the back, the ones that act like they don't care, or you right. know, just the misfits." Exactly, and they describe themselves as misfits, a family of misfits. You know, pretty much the whole movie, right? Um, and yeah, you know, they talked. They they kind of sort of went into how it was that drive for audience interaction that kind of uh, spawned "We Will Rock You." You know, uh-huh. something that would give the audience some rather than just kind of singing along with the song, it will give them something to do to actually participate with the making of the song, you know? Um, and like I said, at some points throughout their, their, the span of their, of the movie, they periodically would talk about, you know, 
you know, whether they were kind of on the decline or they were in a slump of, of hits or anything like that. Um, they always came back to like, you know what, we got to come up with something that goes back to what we originally were all about, which was getting the crowd involved. And then boom, they cranked out a brand new hit. Right. Know? Right. <laughs> Dude. Cause that's what they were known for. Right. No, I, I totally agree with you. Um, you can even see that with like Radio Gaga. You can see that with how they kind of took a couple steps back when they were making, um, like uh, another one bites the dust. Where they're like, "What are we getting all techno now and all this other stuff using <laughs> synthesizers?" I thought it was kind of interesting because um, they thought like you know for every element that they add into the music was an element that separates them from the crowd, and I think that really kind of embodies the way that Queen felt about the music, and I think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Another one. Another big thing of mine that I really enjoyed about the movie is how I like to describe it as like there was gates throughout the movie, right? Mm-hmm. So starting from square one, um, you know, different different gates that they went through. So one of the biggest songs they first came out with was Bohemian Rhapsody uh, with, you know, even within the movie. And so a lot of times the gates were, they would introduce these amazing hits of the band and kind of give you the backstory of these hits. And the gate was when the hits fully came out and were huge that defined a moment in the band that led them on to the next hit or the next gate. You know what I mean? From Mm -hmm. album to album. So it was Bohemian Rhapsody to, you know, another one bites the dust or, uh, we will rock you and, and um, we are the champions. Like each one of those were gates that kind of defined who the band was and they each had their own pitfalls with the band arguing. Like with Bohemian Rhapsody, when they first were uh, went to that secluded farmhouse for uh, recording Night, Night, uh, Night at the Opera, a lot of times the bandmates were starting to argue because of who's writing the better songs or why are you even writing a song about this and how can this fit into the album? And you see that kind of <laughs> cultivate in this you know, style of Queen and ultimately boil over to create Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, and you know, kind of taking a a tangent a little bit, you know, that point in the movie where they are out all by themselves secluded writing the song, that was that was kind of another huge defining moment of Queen as well because that was one of the big themes in that section of the movie was, you know, we don't just, you know, we don't just put out your cookie cutter top 40 stuff. Um, it was about their whole point going out there was to come up with something new, something innovative, experimental. They used experimental several times. Um, right. And so there's a lot of different cutscenes, you know, here and there of just trying ridiculous stuff, you know, both with recording equipment and instruments, trying to get such unique sounds. Um, you know, whether it comes to putting weird stuff like buckets over top of microphones and then playing uh-huh. for like a weird echo sound or... Um, I think one time they put, uh, what was it like pocket change or something on the top of a drum? Right. Yeah. I can't, yeah. yeah I can't remember exactly <laughs> what it was, but things like that, where they were just looping through all these crazy things, trying to come up with a new innovative, never before heard sound. Um, which, you know, if, if anybody who's ever listened to Bohemian Rhapsody, whether or not those ideas actually made it into the song it's super easy to see you know the thought process behind it as to you know no one sounds like that right besides right 
and no one and puts rock and roll and opera together. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> and that's really what they wanted to do. Uh, and you kind of see the the uh, starting of relationships as well. So like Paul Prenter um, mm-hmm. kind of came on to Freddie Mercury a little bit. Obviously, turned out to be kind of a poison in his life. But that you know started to cultivate as well as um, you know being away from Mary for so long. His mindset of relationships started to change as well. Um, because, you know, after A Night at the Opera was recorded, obviously a big tour and they kind of broke out in the United States. But uh, you also kind of see the friendship of the bandmates actually grow closer with how they're treating each other, how they record together, um, support each other with, you know, good vibes or saying, you know, put more, put 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 your hips more into it when he was talking to Brian May with doing the <laughs> guitar yeah. solo, uh, put more soul into it for Bohemian Rhapsody and, you know, stuff like that. And obviously you can kind of see how much of a perfectionist Freddie Mercury was, where a lot of it was over and over and over and over again for uh, Roger Taylor to hit those high notes uh, throughout <laughs> the op- operatic section. And it was just kind of interesting to see these ideas cultivate and come together where Freddie was so headstrong in the way that he thought about things, but also the bandmates were headstrong enough to say no or this sounds dumb. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, there was, they, I mean, even leading up to this, they've done, had done so many other things that were different for the time to where it's nothing was off limits. Right. You know, I mean, it's, there was, there was never a point where, you know, like, Hey, let's try this. And everyone else would be like, no, that's crazy. No one will like that. They're like, you know, who, who cares? Let's, uh, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Let's give it a shot. Yep. And that's how it went. And that, and that's what queen was, man. I think this movie really did a good job about, um, coming off and kind of encircling this, this idea and attitude of what queen had for queen is what queen is. And we change all the time but we're going to do what we want because it defies the norm. Exactly. You know, and that's one of the reasons why I like this movie so much because it wasn't just it wasn't just a series of events that you know, you're just watching the progression of the band and the band members, you know. It it, it didn't have a just strictly linear approach to it. It was it was all about what the band did and what happened to them and what caused it and what was the effect it was all about the drive behind the band members um and you know the 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 results that came from that does that make sense yeah yeah definitely and you know we also have to keep in mind where this movie was primarily focused on freddie mercury you know what i mean so the movie itself did do a really good job of the entirety of the band but I feel like what sometimes people either don't like or kind of disconnect from the movie is that they were hoping that it was more of a whole band thing. But it really focused on Freddie Mercury and his struggles, especially between Paul Prenter um, and, you know, different <coughs> excuse me, members of the band while he was struggling with his uh, own sexuality and like how that was kind of changing his life. Um, you know, for the better or for the worse when it comes to doing drugs, meeting random people and just kind of going down this endless spiral where he was one of the most social people in the band, but yet one of the most lonely. And I think the the movie also captures that very well with how Mary, um, Mary Austin was actually one of his, you know, saviors and guiding lights throughout this, where the only thing good sometimes was that Mary would talk to him. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. But, you know, kind of rolling back a little bit, talking about... I was a little bit surprised, too, during the movie about how much time was focused strictly on Freddie Mercury. Um, But I wasn't... I was kind of expecting that going into it at the same time. Um, Because if you... I mean, you say, okay, we're making a movie about Queen. I mean, that's the first thing that pops into your brain is Freddie Mercury and all the things that he did and happened to him. You know? Um, And looking at it from just a purely production standpoint, you know, are you going to make... What what's the fan reception going to be to a mo- to a movie that's about Roger Taylor or about Freddie Mercury? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Not saying that those there aren't good things that happened in Roger Taylor's life or John Deacon's life mm-hmm. that you know would be good movie material, but you got to think about who's who's coming to watch the movie and who's the most notable name you know, in that group. And so it kind of makes sense that they're obviously going to focus more on Freddie Mercury. Right. Um, Freddie and, Mercury, mostly. And even us as like a younger generation, like, yeah, we know a little bit more about, you know, band members and band mates and kind of history of bands. But, you know, obviously you drop the name Freddie Mercury and where you instantly know who you're talking about and the contributions that were made. So even for younger generations like us, you know, dropping that name is obviously going to help other people and kind of spread the movie to a broader range rather than people that only, uh, you know, that were around for the actual band itself rather than just hearing the music nowadays, if that makes sense. Yo, yeah, definitely. It definitely does. It just has such a, uh, it's, Throwing having a, a wider scope on Freddie Mercury just has such a better connection with the audience, right? Exactly. In a simple, exactly. simplistic, simplistic term. Exactly, man. We're already <clears throat> a half hour in, and we ha- we ha- we hardly have even touched on the movie itself. <laughs> like we've kind of Holy hit like cow. overarching themes, but no, we're gonna have to let's move break it. down. Um, let's break down the casting real quick, and then we'll talk about some fact checking. So. I don't know about you, but I don't think they could have done the casting any better. This movie was oh, perfectly no. cast for the individuals that portrayed um, the real-life people. So Rami Malek was Freddie Mercury. Amazing. Ben Hardy, Roger Taylor, and, and Joseph Mazzello was John Deacon, um, as well as Willem Lee was Brian May. I think the entirety of the band, the way the costumes worked, even the chemistry on screen was absolutely perfect almost picture perfect for how the band acted and you know i'm guessing even interacted behind the scenes i thought it was amazing and there was an even an interview with remy malik where he sat down with the active and surviving band mates um john deacon oh excuse me roger taylor and brian may and actually asked them like what was their relationship like with freddie mercury you know how did they interact what did they talk about um, and you know, he it just kind of showed how much appreciation that the band members had for Freddie Mercury himself. But I feel like something like that really shows on screen when an actor does that. So I think the casting was fantastic. Oh, for definitely the band. And if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure the movie was actually delayed um, because there was so much research and so much coaching put into the portrayal of the characters. I mean, they, not only the actors, but everyone on the production crew wanted to make absolutely dead sure that they were portraying the exact people, you know, right. or the exact band members, even, you know, and band members and those around them. Um, there was so much detail and research pushed on, uh, in that direction that 
it, it ended up uh, delaying the movie a little bit. I think you're right. I think you're right. And obviously, probably for the best, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, of course. And, you know... Rounded, it, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm Go ahead. We need to get through these. Okay. <laughs> no. <you're, laughs> uh, rounding out the cast, we had Lucy Boynton as Mary Austin, Tom Hollander as Jim Beach, or should we say Miami, uh, <laughs> Alan Leach, Paul Prenter, and uh, Mike Myers was Ray Foster. Um, and that's kind of rounding out the cast of so the main people that uh, kind of brought together the entirety of the movie. So, uh, you know, overall, do you think they did a great job casting? And I think they really did sit down and kind of weed through the the grass to find the perfect people for these roles. And honestly, like a great dedication to the band itself. Oh, definitely. And you know what? As fantastic as everybody was involved with this uh this movie i think uh uh rami malik freddie mercury as well as uh uh gillam lee brian may they were directly in the forefront of how fantastic everybody was i mean uh gillam lee as brian may especially at the very end during the credits of the movie when it's showing that live performance uh uh-huh. pick if you put their pictures side by side they are like an exact match oh dude i have to agree with you man you know i mean just even down to the facial expressions and the playing style of brian may you know on stage it was perfect because brian may was kind of known he was he wasn't super active in his playing um kind of he was kind of the the straight and narrow guy didn't wasn't too out there kind of kept to himself even on stage um you know and so Gillum Lee was perfect in that. And, uh, you know, I, off the top of my head, I can't remember what I read about it. But uh, Rami Malik obviously was fantastic. But whoever did the uh, the voiceover, the actual impersonation of Freddie Mercury's voice, I don't know oh. if that was... I don't know who that was off the top I, of my head. I can answer that. So most of the time... We actually looked this up. We had a whole bunch of questions when we came back from the movie. Most of the time, they actually used master recordings of Freddie Mercury in the band. Oh, okay. And then when they ever had to fill in, whether it be like Remy Malik was pretending to practice as Freddie Mercury, it was a Canadian singer that actually filled in the gaps, if that makes sense. Okay. Okay, that makes sense because a lot of the stuff was so incredibly perfect. I was curious if it was actually Freddie Mercury or not. Right. Um, yeah, they used like master tapes. Right, I got it. And you know, and I was going to hit on that too is that sometimes you could tell that whoever was singing sounded a lot like Freddie Mercury, but you know, it makes sense that a lot of times when they had to use uh show Rami Malik in a different setting from a like performance like practicing or something like you just said, um and they had to use somebody else for the voice, you can tell that it wasn't Freddie Mercury because they changed up the songs ever so slightly to reduce the range required. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? That's something I noticed definitely because, I mean, nobody competes with Freddie Mercury on range. Right. You know? And so that's one way I was pretty easy. It was I thought it was pretty easy to tell when they were using somebody else's because they had to change it ever so slightly just to, you know, make it work for that, that, uh, that artist's uh interesting uh what can't even think of the word i'm trying to say his range i guess okay i see what you're saying 
I, I did not pick up on that. But I guess it makes sense where it's really easy for them to do kind of a quick montage. Like at once in the movie where they were like starting to get tours and starting to get big on their first American tour, there's a big montage of tours um, and you kind of see the stage presence develop. But that was probably using a master recording because it's just a montage of footage overlapped with an amazing Queen song. But you can't really do master recordings in a training session in a gym at a high school. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Um, you know, and, and obviously that makes sense too, you know, and they were able to get away with changing the song a little bit here and there because it wasn't it wasn't a final version that they're A performing or B recording, you know. Right. Right. And so That's I kinda thought that you know, that's an easy way to tell when it wasn't Freddie Mercury, but at the same time they did, they covered it up really well by having right. it in those settings to where it's acceptable for it not to be exactly the same. Right. <clears throat> All right, big guy, why don't you take us in some of the fact checking because uh, you did a great job of this. Okay. Um, I don't have, there's not a ton of stuff that off the top of my head that I could come up with that were problems. These are just a few of the things. Um, you know, th- and I understand you have to change stuff here and there to be able to fit a movie into a roughly two-hour time limit, you know, without getting too crazy involved with explaining detail. But one of the big things I noticed was um, the actual diagnosis of Freddie Mercury with AIDS. Um, in the movie, he actually knew he had AIDS, um, and he confided in his band members that he was diagnosed with AIDS bef- while they were actually practicing for Live Aid, which was in July 1985. Um, in real life, the actual date is kind of up in the air, but his, uh, uh, at, the end of, at the end of his life, he was with uh, Jim Hutton, and Jim actually uh, is on record saying, you know, he wasn't actually diagnosed until April of 18, 18, 1987. Um <laughs> So the movie kind of flipped that around, but I can see that's an easy justification as to why they would do that just for flow of the movie. You know, is right. they kind of did it for, you know, the band not only coming back together to perform live aid, but also coming back together, kind of centering around, um, you know, this devastating news that Freddie Mercury received. Um, so that's kind of, you know, it's one of those things where it made me think, but then I didn't really... I didn't I didn't feel compelled to dwell on it just because it makes sense movie wise. Right. Right. Um another few uh couple more things, not really that big of a deal, but something I just questioned is I never heard the thing about his teeth before. In the movie he talked about obviously it came up several times about his very unique teeth and mouth shape. Um, and he actually, at one point in the movie, talked about how he had um, two extra sets of molars, which is kind of forced his teeth, you know, forward in his mouth and gave him a overall larger mouth. And and he talked about how you know he wasn't going to have that fixed because it that's one of the reasons why he had such a fantastic range, vocal range. And I was curious about that because I'd never really heard that before. Um, obviously he's had something going on in his mouth, but I didn't really know what. So I kind of did a little bit of searching on that and the actual, whether or not the extra molar thing was a fact 
seems to be kind of up in the air. I've seen some sources that talk about, yes, he did have extra teeth. Some sources talked about, no, he really didn't have extra teeth. They were just screwed up. Um, they were just screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> but it come, it does come back to um, everything that I read still came back to him not wanting to get his mouth fixed because he feared that it would affect his vocals. Um, okay. Actual, you know, expert opinion kind of varies on whether or not it would actually have changed his sound at all, since he's, especially since he was an adult already, and you know, he not like a child where they still have a lot more developing to go. Right. Um, so you know, who knows if it would have or not? But that was one of the reasons why he never pursued getting his, um, getting his teeth fixed, just because he he feared that he would lose you know, what made him Freddie Mercury. Okay. And then the last one. And then the last one. Um, I was <laughs> curious about uh, Ray Foster as well. Um, Ray Foster, of course, played by Mike Myers in the movie, which really threw me back. I know. I know. Uh, and there was some... I just... <laughs> I'm really glad they did it. It wasn't cheesy. They didn't overdo it. But they, of course, threw some Wayne's World gags in there um, <laughs> in reference to that fantastic movie. Uh, you know, obviously, Ray Foster was a record executive that wasn't fully sold on Queen and absolutely was not a fan of Bohemian Rhapsody and didn't want it to be on the radio. Um, which, of course, then yada, yada, yada led to him, you know, being known as the record label that passed up on Queen. Right. Um, and so I was just curious as to if that person was a real entity in real life. Um, and it seems to be he wasn't – that never actually was a real encounter with a record executive. But Ray Foster's character was based loosely on uh, EMI's chief, Roy Heatherstone. Um, and he was – more of a fan of Queen. Might have been a little bit skeptical of the kind of experimental stuff going on, uh, but overall was a fan of the uh, of the band's sound. So that interaction with Ray Foster seemed to be kind of fabricated for the movie, although it wasn't overdone at all. I think right. they kind of used it to illustrate just the... the uh, how how different Queen was, and how depending on you know what vantage point you're looking at, you know something new and innovative might not be well received all the time. Um, yeah, I I I totally agree. I think one of the big things was how commercial. Oops, how commercial <laughs> that they really wanted to push the band. Where Bohemian Rhapsody was six minutes long. That's never heard of. You know, it's so unique. Who wants to hear opera? Like, they wanted um, You're My Best Friend instead. And so, really, I think this whole entity thing was about how they had pushback because Queen wasn't commercial. Mm-hmm. So. And anybody who knows Queen knows that that's not what they were about. <laughs> right. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love it. <laughs> all right, man. I think those were perfect to hit on. Uh, so... We've talked a little bit about, you know, Queen itself. Um, give me a quick little snippet of how you view Queen after the movie. 
rather than just making great music, do you kind of have a more appreciation for the band itself? You know, I think, uh, I think it's a good question, but I think it's, you know, asking that question is it's a little bit loaded at the same time. I think to find anybody who doesn't have a greater appreciation for something they already liked after watching a movie like that, um, I think finding somebody like that would be hard to find. Um, I see yeah, of course. I, I mean, I still like Queen. You know, it's I'm not necessarily going to listen to them more. I mean, you know, maybe just because they're kind of in my brain, you know, um, thinking about it, you know, for the next couple of days after, and then it'll kind of taper off. But it's not like I'm going to go be a more avid listener to Queen on a regular basis. I'll still, every once in a while, that sort of thing. But I do have a greater appreciation because I, I learned a lot more before I really, really only knew just kind of things here and there about Freddie Mercury. You know, I didn't right. know all of the band members. I knew Brian May and that's about it. And, you know, even, even as focusing on mainly Freddie Mercury, there was still a lot to learn about the rest of the band, um, in this movie. Right. Right. Okay. I, I dig it totally. For me, I have, I feel a bigger connection to the band knowing more about it. Okay. Like this, I left the movie theater and literally thought to myself, this is the closest I will ever get to the band without living through their time, if that makes sense. Yes. Oh, definitely. Like I left the movie theater and I was like, I want to go see Queen live right now. <laughs> um, you know, I just left with such a huge appreciation for it. And I love their music, but every time I put on a Night in the Opera record, like I'm going to have a deeper understanding and appreciation for what went, what went into that as the band and individuals that makes me just want to listen to it over and over and over again. So I'm, I'm right there with you with, uh, with yours. Um, I don't necessarily how to describe it. I guess it's like I'm in your boat where I'm not going to necessarily listen to them more, but my connection to when I do listen is a lot deeper. Right. Right. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, w- I would, I would, I would pretty much say we we have the same overall feeling of Queen, um, you know, pretty much before and after this movie. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. All right, man. Last two points before we round out episode fifty four. What is your rating of the movie out of ten? All right. Um, you know. It might sound like I'm being a stickler and, you know, I'm giving it too low of a uh, too low of a score, but I'll have to preface that with I am I am a pretty picky movie watcher. I'm not necessarily a critic. It's just I I I don't like you know, it's not like I rant and I <clears throat> wow. It's not like I rave about every movie I watch. So I would say I would still probably give it, um, I would give it probably an eight, like a low okay. eight. Um, and you know, in my scale of movies, that's fantastic. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Um, and so episode, episode four, a new hope is, is, is a 10. Oh, of course. Yes. <laughs> um, one of the f- very few tens that, you know, it's, it's a new hope and, godfather part two 
Oh, good one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, all right, I'm sure you have your score right away. You've already got uh, it. I, I was thinking an eight as well. Okay. Um, uh, you know, and I usually am pretty generous, generous with movies. Um, but I just think the movie was fantastic. I think it was great. Um, I don't think it deserves anything lower than an eight. Um, I think the entirety of the movie was amazing. I lost a little bit at the end of when they were doing the live aid. Um, they lost me a little bit just because of the way that they filmed it. You could tell that the crowd itself wasn't exactly real. I mean, I know it's hard to like replicate a stadium like that, but it almost just looked too choppy and just too CGI ish. You know what? For me to be able to buy into it, if that makes sense. You know what? I totally agree with that. And I've, totally forgot about that fact i i picked it up right away especially when they i don't know if you remember but they did a shot coming all the way from the back kind of swooping in over the crowd up to the stage uh-huh and the crowd was so incredibly fake yeah yeah and see like the whole movie was great and you know that atmosphere and the way that they did that was good but i would have been so bought into that live performance if they just executed that crowd better Yes, so. I I will agree with you on that. That's something I totally had forgotten about. And I'm glad you brought it up. Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm glad we're on the same page with that. All mm-hmm. right, finishing out uh, this this episode. Where do you think that biopics are going in the future? I left that movie theater and I was just like, is this the beginning of something? Just imagine Elton John has declared his farewell tour. Right? Mm-hmm. How amazing would it be to go see an, a biopic of Elton John? Or the Beatles, or you know, even just one single Beatle, anybody, Eric Clapton, um, Peter Frampton, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the possibilities, I feel like are endless. Where these people are kind of come out of the limelight of music, but now we have these stories to be told. You know, I, I, not to be the Debbie Downer all the time, which I feel like I am <laughs> of you know this show, but. I definitely see there's I I definitely feel like there's going to be a lot more biopics in the future just with the success of this movie alone. Right. Um, let alone, you know, the current climate that we have right now of some of the greatest um, artists of of all time, you know, kind of kind of starting to all they you know, maybe they've already kind of uh, toned it down a little bit and they're kind of living a quiet life or they're kind of on that decline. Um I just, I really hope they don't overdo it. And I know that's kind of my, my scapegoat of, you know, everything. I always talk about that. Um, (laughs) But I, I just, I don't want to see, I don't want to see a new biopic coming out like every month, you know? Right. Oh no, I can get that. And I feel like it could, if they do it too much, people will start to be disinterested or, and, and, or uh, they might go the way that I talked about earlier of, you know, making them uh, trying too hard and end up kind of getting away from that actual person or group. Um, And so, you know, will that happen? I don't know. But I just, I just kind of see that happening. Right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm right there with you. I just don't want them to, to dilute it. Too much where we just start losing connection with with the people that they're trying to tell stories about yeah i, I don't so, know I, I i don't i don't want to be the downer all the time but you know no. it's well, something you know i what? just we, don't want to see happen 
<laughs> I understand. And we need that. That, that kind of grounds me with my whole hyper-realistic or hyper-enthusiastic uh, <laughs> feelings about things. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> thank you guys so much. That's a wrap of Young Nostalgia episode 54, our review of Bohemian Rhapsody, the biopic about Queen, but primarily Freddie Mercury. Absolutely great to have you guys here and listen to us as we talk about our passion for the past while being young at heart. Thank you guys so much. You can, um, you know, if you like what you're hearing, please give us a kind review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can find us on Podbean. Our Podbean page is youngnostalgia.podbean.com. You'll find our social media badges there as well. You're out there on Facebook and Twitter. Give us a like, give us a follow, and let us know what you're thinking. If you have a question for us or a topic uh, for the future or a guest, let us know. Shoot us a line at youngnostalgia2017 at gmail.com. Com. Again, check out Cozy Knits, uh, Real Big real big Stitches, Cozy Knits, that's R-E-E-L, Big Stitch, Cozy Knits on Etsy. You'll see the shop link in our description. And if you use code NOSTALGIA18, all upper caps, all uppercase, no, that's the second time I did that, all uppercase, <laughs> no spaces, NOSTALGIA18, you'll receive 10% off your order of handmade knit quality items. What a show, man. What a show. I know we could talk a whole bunch more about the movie itself, but overall, definitely recommend great movie and a great time to kind of get a deeper connection of Queen and Freddie Mercury as well. Without oh, further ado, Ben, anyth- oh, sorry, man. Anything no, 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 I, not really. I was just going to go off that and say I can't uh, recommend enough that you you know go out and watch it. Right. Either that or see it in the very near future for when it comes out. Um, for purchase so uh, absolutely love it two eight out of tens from your one and only young nostalgia guys ben and nolan without (laughs) (laughs) anything else i think we're good to go as we always say here on young nostalgia keep the bottles empty and the ashtrays full we'll talk to you next week